Hello and um, good evening, not good morning. We're heading down through the forest. Hopefully some kookaburras are going to kick in in a sec. And um, this is the start of the Madan episode. Sorry about the mic, I ain't got one, so it's just the phone mic. But I think it's a nice organic start to this one. Here we go, kookaburras. Yes! We're rolling! Okay, questions for this week. How many islands do you reckon there are in Indonesia? Is it more than a hundred? Yes or no? No, that's too easy. Is it more than a thousand? Yes or no? I'm down at Gallows again. I uh, never made the rest of the forest podcast. It was dark and raining. Oh, and there were leeches, so fair enough. So I'm back at Gallows and my inspiration is a bit tilted because although it's nice looking at the ocean, those waves look great, so I'm torn between going out for a surf and telling this podcast about Indonesia but here I go and there's a lady riding a bike on the beach on low tide with a border collie it looks cool ass right so our 7am wake up call came at 8.15 from the Namkia Hotel aka Brothel and um, we cycled madly to the wharf to get the ferry to Sumatra. But the we'd experienced this a lot in Indonesia. The timings weren't always bang on, so the ferry was a few hours late, and um, we had heaps of time. But the ferry across the Malacca Straits, it's a famous place for piracy, actually, is the Malacca Straits. And I'll go into that a bit later. In fact, we got... Uh, robbed on one of the islands well, attempted robbery on one of these islands where they train the pirates didn't say that in the brochure so we're heading across the Malacca Straits on this, which I would term as a river cat in, that you'd see in Sydney Harbour if you've ever been to Sydney and it's just like a flat bottom jet, well Jet cats are flat bottom, but they're just a, um, a jet, like a small jet cat, and it's just flogging on through the uh, across the Malacca Straits. All the windows are steamed up, and we're just bouncing, and um, totally at the wills of the gods. Really, like um, wasn't really a, I'd say, ocean-going vessel, but obviously we made it. As soon as we got to Indo, we'd heard a lot of good stuff about Indo. It's um, less modern than Malaysia and more casual, I'd say. Like people were more, in Malaysia we found people were quite reserved. They're very polite and kind, but the Malay people were more reserved than the Indonesians. Straight away as we ran along we heard, Hey, Mr. <laughs> I can't do it so much now, but they roll the R's. Like when they say fresh water, or hot water, they say, air panas, air panas. So <laughs> it's pretty cool. And they were shouting out to us all sorts of stuff. Hello, darling. Uh, Mokamana, where are you going? Oh, speda bagusakali. So speda, speda is bike and bagus is good and sakali is very so it's like bike very good or quat sakali which is um, strong like very strong quat is strong and bodo sakali which 
they didn't really say it was was um, stupid. <laughs> Bodo. Yeah. Never had that said to me, actually. So it's good. Only found out these words later, obviously. Um, most of our language came from the need to survive out in the middle of the sticks. And it's amazing how you... The incentive to learn languages when you can order food and communicate to survive. Oh, man. Cranking left-hander and right's just pumped out. Dude's on it, on his mouth. It's on the left. Took the left. Okay, back to the story. So we based ourselves in a town called Medan, and it was, um, well, from my journal memoirs, I will say, we based ourselves in Medan to acclimatize ourselves and purchase supplies. Some Medan's in Sumatra, and Sumatra's massive. It's over 2,000 k's in length. Lots of volcanoes. It's an absolute gorgeous place, full of rainforest. Dwindling rainforest, I should say. We're walking around the supermarkets, and they just had these gorgeous assistants on nearly every aisle. Some were beautiful, and some were just brazenly sexy. And they all seemed to like us. <laughs> I was at our passports. Madame was a hell place. Choked in kerosene from inefficient engines burning low-grade fuel. It was raining, and house martins lined up on the telephone ways. And then heavy rain clouds put an early close on the day. When we were squelching around Madame, we met two fellow cyclists, Kevin Trina from Canada. And they had the best gear. They wore like these really good waterproof clothing and the panniers were waterproof. And as usual, they seemed much better equipped than Brian me. <laughs> Every time. Kev told us that he'd almost been killed in Vietnam when our motorcyclist hit him and he flew over the handlebars and cracked his head on the ground. He said his helmet saved his life. Back back in the 90s, uh, mid-90s, helmets weren't compulsory in England, and we just didn't have helmets. So we, <laughs> we looked a bit... We... we um, what's the words? Come on. When... Kev told the story of the helmet saving his life. Brian just sort of subconsciously sort of feeling around our heads like, <laughs> In the Losman, which is a guest house, we took off our dirty clothes in the shower and stamped on them. Brian strung a line across our tiny room and we hung our wa out our washing under the fan. The lady who owned this place is real cranky and... Um, she overcharged us for the food and the room. So I, I borrowed one of her teaspoons. Yes, I'm a thief. In that sense. Um, <laughs> borrowed, I was going to bring it back. But in the morning, as we were leaving, and we packed our bags up, she was waiting at the gate with her arms folded. And she just looked at me and said, You, spoon. <laughs> and I had, <laughs> I had to empty my bags and this spoon appeared. I gave it back to her guiltily and then uh, we hit the road. We're riding out to a place called Bucket Lawang and it's one of the last places on earth where you can see orangutans because it's become a reserve for all the orangutans that have been illegally taken out of the forest. It's a real sad story. Um, there's only orangutans left in Borneo and in Sumatra. A lot of them were taken and kept as pets or taken to zoos or just victims of deforestation. And this reserve was trying to acclimatize them back into the wild by feeding them boring food and um, just basic bananas and then encouraging them to go foraging because they're like 
rip open the bark on the tree and eat the beetles and stuff like that. So that, you know, they've got quite a varied diet. So we're heading out to this this reserve and just getting choked under this black diesel from all these BMOs and trucks. The BMOs are like little minivans that carry out loads of passengers. Normally very unsafe with bad brakes. And um, after 80 kilometers of rubber plantations and date plantations, we finally found like the rainforest. Just the earth smell and moisture shrouding us in sort of negative ions. It was a gorgeous place based around this fast-flowing river. Orangutan, orangutan in, in Indonesia means man of the woods or man of the forest. And they, call, and they called them this because they used to walk standing up in the forest like a man. So they called them man of the forest. They're beautiful animals. And this jungle was a gateway back to freedom. It was sad to see the orangutans. Like, remember being brought up, seeing like there was a movie with Clint Eastwood and he had an orangutan. And it was all funny, you know, like right turn Clyde and the orangutan would stick his arm out and knock out all these Hell's Angel guys off the motorbikes and stuff like that. But in reality, these these poor orangutans, once they'd been pets, when they got back to the um, forest, they were just done. They were like city slickers who had no idea how to survive in the wild. And a lot of them had sort of mental issues. It looked like what happens to humans when we live these artificial lives. Some of them were like giving you the bird, middle finger. Um, some would just look demented because they'd been locked up too long. And they all had different personalities, different faces. If you look close, they're all, they're all absolute, in, absolute individuals. One, one actually came down out of the forest and it, a little guy, and he sat with us on the riverbank. And you weren't meant to encourage them to hang out with humans for obvious reasons. And a lot of tourists would selfishly feed them so that they could get photos with them. But we just, so that's probably why this one came down to us. And the one of the reserve guys came and said, oh, can you scare it, scare it, back wanted to scare it back in the trees to get it away from humans. And we tried to be mean to this little beautiful orangutan. And it just looked up at us and started sort of cowering and yelping. Oh, it just felt so bad. But I guess that's it about humans. We're too fucking soft, aren't we? We're like, oh, this poor thing. Instead of doing the right thing. There was a German guy got too close with his camera it's funny you get in the forest with these orangutans and you just want to be alone with them but then you shouldn't be there either you know we're humans we fuck everything up like in nature or we seem to and we're all stood around and I'm I'm trying to get all spiritual I guess I'm trying to just be in the moment and not be that snappy tourist just taking an image and all that. And this German guy was up there with his camera, taking all these shots, and the big male orangutan just like slid down a trunk and grabbed his camera off him, <laughs> carried it back up, pretended to take a couple of shots with it, and then slung it down on the forest floor. It was smashed. There was this beautiful little baby orangutan and mother was sending it out on a branch and just letting it hang in the in the canopy and then uh, a noise scared her and she bundled it back up but they've got really long hands they're like twice the length of the 
of a human's hand because they so they can wrap around these trees and then they kind of swing the tree, rock it back and forth until they can reach the next tree, like the skinny trees. And that's how they move around the forest. So, yeah, if um, you buy palm oil, that is one of the main causes of um, deforestation in Indonesia, along with, obviously, the timber trade. We'd see a lot of smouldering stumps and a lot of small-time guys making a little bit of money over there, but it was all getting sent to the West back then. And China. China had offered to make a road. They'd say, oh, come on, we'll do you some infrastructure. And then they'd sort of take everything that they got as they're making these roads. They'd take all the trees they got uh, I just read on Wikipedia that um, we were there almost 30 years ago, well, 25 years ago, and it says on Wikipedia that in the last 35 years, Sumatra, have ch- the people there have cut down 50% of the rainforest. And it was that bad, they were having real bad tension with Malaysia and Singapore because of the smoke haze. And what happened was a lot of the people living there came from Java because Java's really highly populated and they were all migrants and they all went to Sumatra to stake a claim. So it's probably like the Brits colonising sort of 200, 300 years ago and trashing places, but they're doing it in the modern day. So, But the Brits did it, so why shouldn't they do it? But so sad, there's like Sumatran tigers, Sumatran elephants, um, Sumatran rhino, rhinoceros, there's the orangutan, and they're all pretty much fucked. They're calling it uh, ecocide. <laughs> That's fucking nuts. I forgot to say that just before we left Bucket Lawang, there was, you'll find it if you ever go traveling. There's like a traveler's snobbery, and they basically judge it. It's like money, it's like credits, it's like golden coins, it's like the clothes you wear, the car you drive. In traveling, it's how long have you been traveling, you know? And there was this couple, and they were. They were fucking snobs, I'm not going to lie. And they were—they had all the tie-dye clothes on and all the hippie gear, and they were... They, they were telling the story of where they'd been, and they were, oh, we've been to here, we've been to there, we've been to Smarter, we've been to that. And they gave us this big story of where they'd been and how great they were and how wildly traveled they were and all the experiences and blah 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 and um and she saw she was really disinterested this lady and she said so where have you been and i said oh pretty much the same as you really and then we got on our bikes and she looked at us and said oh are those your bicycles i said yeah you didn't think we got a bus did you After a few days of living in this uh, bamboo shack over the, overlooking the river at Bukit Lawang, we, we rode back out and we didn't want to go back to Medan. It was sad on the way out. There was uh, some kids dragging what looked like a snow mist leopard down the road. It has been run over by a car. And its teeth were bared in its final expression. Kids put a string round its neck and made it into a toy, dragging it around the, down the road until they're tired of it. Around the next corner, a fat man in a cafe wanted to buy us a copy, which is coffee. He worked in forestry. On the hillsides, the blackened stumps of a rainforest smolder, grotesque and sad. He was a little cog. The big cogs were from the west. 
it was really stark and really sad to see. You'd, you'd ride through these rainforests up and down these hill passes and there'd be the masses of these Thomas Leaf monkeys just jumping through the forest and gibbons and wild uh, boars crossing the road and snakes and you'd see all this nature and all the bird life and then you'd hit the next corner and it'd all be gone and you'd just have these smouldering stumps like there's no like they wrap it up a bit in Australia it's it's more orderly but you it's not as much in your face it's kind of done selectively they're still knocking off old growth forest in Australia sadly it's not all plantation because it just takes too long to grow so they just grab it but back then being from England we'd they'd, they'd nicked all the trees hundreds of years ago so we weren't used to seeing virgin forests being destroyed because they destroyed ours so long before that so we didn't feel like heading back towards Medan just the pollution and the noise so there was these maps over there they're called Nell's Nell's map and there was a faint line running up through the jungle into the mountains and it eventually um hit a big a, a bigger road on the other side which hang on I'll read it out the Nels map showed a faint line running up through the jungle into the mountains and eventually meeting up with a thicker red line that ran south Thomas leaf monkeys crashed through the canopy and the occasional brand new moped would zoom past loaded with supplies in a village, a young green monkey was chained, captured to be a coconut slave. That was so sad. Um, it's chained up outside this hut and it's studying this black gibbon that hung lifelessly over the shoulder of a local hunter. That was pretty confronting. They'd shot this hunter had shot this gibbon and then they cut a slice in the tail, along the tail, open it up and then put the gibbon's head through it so it's like a bloody gibbon handbag so bloody sad <laughs> again like you know um, different sources of food it's a real contrast though we um, there was sort of old world stuff like you could not find a toilet in Sumatra back then like everyone was shitting in the rivers it was crazy there was lots of things that were really primitive and then they'd have satellite TV. So, <laughs> out in the forest. We got to this village and there was, we were invited to hang out there and there was a tiny, these tiny little bamboo steps that led down a steep bank to a stream. And there was bushes that sort of formed a natural barrier. On one side was men and on the other side there were women bathing and they'd got these bamboo combs split them down the middle and made them into troughs and they just jammed a trough into like this is big bamboo I'm talking like 150 mil diameter and they've jammed them and metres long like 10 metres long they've jammed them into the this base of this waterfall and then it tapped out to either side in like a V. There's one piece filtered down to the male side and one went to the woman's side. So you could get under the... When you got to the end of it, it was elevated a couple of metres and you could just stand underneath it like a shower. And over there for washing or bathing, they call it Mandy. Mo Mandy. Mal Mandy. Want, want a bath? Want a shower? It was a great setup. We left the village and kept going into the jungle and we made camp and we were scared because <laughs> we hadn't really rough camp like that like in in a full jungle before and all the sounds we had no idea whether they were dangerous or not owls bats fruit bats um rustles and creaks on the forest floor the sumatran tiger would we be lucky enough to see that? In the early morning light, a villager walked past. He 
in sort of ragged old clothes. And he had a section of bamboo filled up, filled up with palm sugar and ants. It was full of ants too. He just tapped it out of a palm. Not sure how they make it. Suss that one out. Um, question, how do they make palm sugar? And I, just for a laugh, I held out my cup and he filled it up. Just laughing and went on his way. It's good energy. As we walked further and further into the jungle, the track was barely visible. We couldn't ride anymore. We had to carry our fully loaded bikes up and down these really steep hills and across rivers. And in the middle of the jungle, it's getting hot. You know, there's no breeze getting in there. There's leeches everywhere, mosquitoes, probably malaria. And we're just going up and down these trails, like these narrow, narrow, narrow trails. And the bikes weigh a good few kilos. They probably weigh 40 kilos each, I'd say. We were knackered. Bryce slipped on the cheap soles of his replacement shoes. After the Thai temple thief had stolen his other ones. And he fell down this steep hillside. And his bike caught on a tree on his way down and he clung onto it and I was looking down at him trying to help him and he was sort of just looking up at me through his bike frame <laughs> we were miles off course because the um, the real road had washed away in the monsoons and we just sort of filtered off onto this little minor track which was just a, a forest jungle track for hunters and gatherers so we had to admit defeat, and we just turned around and made our way back all the way to Medan. Okay, good morning again. I am uh, back at Gallows, and I've taken a picture of my location, and I'm putting it on the cover this time, because it kind of gives you an indication what a high-profile, luxurious life I lead in Australia. Shit, a big whale just jumped. Okay. So we're trying to get from, we had to get from Medan to the, from the east coast to the west coast of Sumatra, which is pretty much the um, Nurswell side to where the big waves are on the west coast. And it was 40 k's of solid uphill from just outside Medan to a place called Brastagi, which was I think it's 1300 meters above sea level with a volcano on the top of it. We were sick from the jungle and just knackered. Um, we'd had a bad night skip on the edge of a shooting range. We're riding and riding and all these beamers, they're totally overloaded. Like there's loads of stories about these beamers. I've been on ones where they're just like a little minibus, like a Mazda or a um, Toyota, like a 10, 12-seater, and sometimes smaller, but they just cram and overload things, and the brakes are normally naff. Being on one where I was with my dad, actually, in Indo, and they stopped at this bridge and had to line up the planks like these planks that were only like 50 mil thick <laughs> line the planks up and drive over it to get across this bridge and the brakes didn't work so he had to flash the lights of the car coming the opposite way to keep reversing because he couldn't stop and there was a story in Sumatra going around at the time where this French guy was, they were going up this hill and the brakes failed and he slipped his gears and he started rolling backwards and he couldn't um, he couldn't this guy wasn't stopping and there was these two travelers this lady and this guy and they were stood in this sliding door and she's saying jump jump and he's going no no and she's going jump we're gonna get killed jump jump and the car the van's just getting faster and faster and um, she pushed him out. <laughs> and then the guy 
who was driving just reversed up and slid along this uh, wall, this cliff or dirt side to um, stop. And the guy come hobbling back up the road all cut up. So as we're going up these hills, these BMOs are just blasting out these big black plumes as their engines are overworking. And we just slowly faded into the roadside. We were laid there in the shade, trying to recover. And these local blokes found us. They handed us uh, some pisang, uh, bananas. And they dragged us across the road into a little warung, like a little shop. So we went into this, sh they dragged us across the road to this shop. We sat in there drinking coffee manis, which is sweet coffee. And we just lay on the benches and we could hear them talking about us. Oh, orang, kenapa? Kenapa orang sepeda bukit lawa? What the fuck are these guys doing? Like. And we got, we got that a lot where, yeah, crazy bloody Westerners, they've, they've got their lives so easy back home that they have to invent their own hardships. Next door to this Warung, there was a children's home. And it was pissing down by now. And in our present state and condition, we looked so pitiful. They let us stay in one of the classrooms. Moved a few desks and just got some noodles boiling up on our stove on the floor and just settled down for the night. In the morning we had another 20 kilometres of hills and with the altitude the temperature was dropping. Fog hung on our breath and Brastaggy was so cold with this egg stink of sulphur hanging in the air. There was geothermal pools there and... Um, these poor blokes, we walked up there one day and they had a ladle and they'd stick this ladle into the bobbling vents off this volcano and firm the sulphur. They had some cheap shit mask and, um, yeah, fucking hard job. If you look it up sometime, sulphur mining on volcanoes. They're just carrying these big blocks of sulphur down. And they make use it for medicine, making matches. And they use it in fertilizers as well, I think. We were sick again, and we were in this cold place. It wasn't helping our sickness, I don't think. And there was a lady who ran the guest house. She was sick too. She's called Nanny. And she said, I'm not stay here for long. I'm going to get married some rich European guy and goodbye maybe you she joked and she sat on my knee <laughs> we said yeah yeah nanny um, and funnily enough about six months later we actually saw her in Darwin in Australia and she'd um, well, a few months later and she'd met a guy and she was getting married <laughs> the descent into Lake Toba wound around the edge of the mountains and dropped away from the cool. And Lake Toba was massive. It's this crater lake. It's 450 meters deep. And there's an island in the middle the size of Singapore. You could get little boats across the island and it had a real laid-back hippie vibe. I'll just say it as it was. So the island had a laid-back hippie vibe. There's like lots of marijuana there, magic mushrooms. And the local gigolos, the handsome guys, they, they had sort of, it was kind of a uniform. They'd have ripped jeans and long hair, long wavy hair, and they'd be playing guitars and smoking garam cigarettes. And they hustled all the unattractive Western women who... I <laughs> was so bad, but it was true. Just like with the unattractive guys who who go checking women out in these places. And uh, they'd hustle them for pizza, food, money, cigarettes, a beer, and for sex. Magic, magic mushrooms grew really well in the 
fertile volcanic soil and they were sold in omelettes, pancakes and boiled up to make tea. Marijuana was abundant too. Fishermen raised their fish traps on the lake and kids balanced, perfectly paddling rudderless. That's hard to say. And kids balanced perfectly paddling dugout canoes with no rudder. That's a bit easy. So on the photo of this podcast, you'll notice I've got all my clothes out. I'm drying my board shorts, if you look closely, and a load of towels out of my car. Because any surfer will tell you that cars get smelly really quickly if you um, don't keep your stuff dry. We're staying in a batik house. They're like a long house. They have a huge apex roof. Um... And the door, the door was really small, like a ship's hatch. The walls were only a few feet high, so it was predominantly roof. The roof area inside, like the rake ceilings, were covered in psychedelic paintings from hallucinogenic-inspired artists. The roof, the roof timbers are big and solid, like timbers of an old ship. And a second door, it led down some steps to the Waysay. The Waysay is the um, WC. It's just the way Indonesian Indonesians have said that word, Waysay, instead of WC. Um, <laughs> a second door led down some steps to the Waysay. The ship's cat jumped in through a tiny porthole window. I could see only water. I squatted in the gloom on the wayside. I was still crook. I'd been there so long, even the ants had left me to suffer alone. I knew every inch of my prison. The yellow and white floor, with the flaking paint bits that looked like two garden gnomes riding a bike. The tired faded green wall tiles with the mould growing around the joints. The concrete perch, worn smooth with a thousand gripping toes. Yeah, so this was like a squat toilet, which was normally just a block on the ground with a hole. Much better for your bowels, by the way. You evacuate your entire colon. I met this Aussie guy called Alex today, and it travelled for 26 years. It drifted around the world like a piece of space junk. His trip would have been cut short a couple of decades ago, he said, if the death threat in Uganda in 1978 had been carried out. Alex, he was a he was a dirty old man, to be fair. He knew every single brothel in every place we'd been. <laughs> You'd say, oh, we went there. And he said, oh, the underworld section of that area is here. Um, he knew the Namkia Hotel, ironically. He spoke of towns in India that were choco with whole houses, border to border. Alex, he, he said that he met, in the Philippines he met this beautiful islander lady and they lived in the bush, catching fish, foraging for bush food. He ran out of money, he had to leave this island paradise and his goddess and he gone back to work in the West. He wrote to her regularly and um, sent her money and she used it to buy a, a new boyfriend a car. <laughs> he was old and fooling himself, and he, he was shameless. Like For us, as 20-somethings, you know, 27-year-olds, just the thought of paying someone to have sex with him, just off, but he didn't give a shit. Um, he pumped up his kerosene stove, telling me I needed to eat, take this and take that and I'd come good with my guts he's, he's one of them guys he fascinated me but in instilled me with, with dread I imagine myself in his situation losing my family roots temporary homes, temporary friends and getting washed up at my old man's place in ten years clutching an old ratty sack of nothing a bit dramatic but <laughs> You'd see them, you'd meet these people. Like There was another guy ridden all the way around Africa, 30,000 30, Ks around the world he'd done. 
that there was always a sad story behind it. Like this one, his wife had cheated on him and broken him in three, you know, and uh, he'd just taken to the road. He had kangaroo kangaroo skin uh, handlebar covers and a kangaroo skin suit. And this Alex, he was just, I don't know, he was just a dirty old man roaming the world. Um, he taught me how to sharpen a knife on the edge of a glass. That's one of his survival techniques. Um, I walked slowly back to the ship, holding my stomach, wondering what the food would do inside me. The rat ran out the door as I opened it, so I let him through. Bri was sleeping again, but had woken with a start. Fucking rat ran over my shoulder. He held up our biscuits. And the bastard's been in at crackers. <laughs> Next door to the, sh the ship, Adrian worked on his bicycle. I called it the ship as well because we're right on the edge of the water. So you get, you'd actually get waves on this um, lake because it was so big. Massive crater. And um, just had a real ship vibe to it. Next door to the ship, Adrian worked on his bicycle. Adrian had come down through India on an old Enfield motorbike. They were made in India. They were, I think they were originally made in England. But now they're made in India. But it's a classic Indian bike. And they're really hard, hardy bikes that can stick up to some stick. And also, because everyone knows about them in India, they're easy to get maintained. Some parts are there and everything. So he'd bought an old Enfield and he'd ridden around India. In Bangkok, he bought himself a bicycle. And his, his journey was, and he'd ridden down a similar path to us towards Sumatra. And he said his journey was similar to ours, but his trip had been had so many more risky episodes than us. He was in Kashmir, and he was in two minds whether to enter this shop. And he's, he's just looked and thought, oh, I'll come back later. And as he walked away, the shop blew up, and um, the, someone had bombed it. When he was in Nepal, in the Himalayas, he was trekking. He came across an avalanche that had killed 26 people. Those that weren't dead were buried or dying, so he, he managed to make a SOS call on one of the dead guys' walkie-talkies. And he was trying to dig it, some of the victims out, but further avalanches came, so he had to retreat. And he said at that time... His brother was further down the valley in Tanzan, which is where we rode up through, and um, there'd been a massive mudslide, and his brother was there helping digging out injured there at the exact same time he was trying to dig people out of the snow. He sold his motorbike and took a train to Calcutta to fly out of India. On, on the train, he noticed a box without an owner. He nudged the box with his foot, and it rattled. Curious, he opened the box and there's five sticks of dynamite in it. <laughs> the next day we left the security of the ship, left the ants to their perpetual work, and we made distance on Lake Toba. I stopped to take a photo of this guy carrying a dog in a bag on the back of his bike. It's like a little sandy-coloured dog. And its head was stuck out of this bag. He wasn't spoiling the dog though. It was just part of his shopping. The people of this district, they uh, Macan Anjing, like eat dog. <laughs> Every time I look back at that picture now, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, since we love dogs so much. But I did see people cooking dog quite a lot in Asia, Philippines, um, Vietnam. I haven't been there, but they eat dog. Laos, they were eating dog. It's just on the, on the menu. We're just not used to it.
okay that's a wrap for now but um i thought i might try and get a little bit more of brian on on the call we have got in touch um but i was trying to record him and um, it's not that easy because it's all these privacy laws so it's not that easy to record people but i recorded him anyway but and then asked him afterwards for permission um and here he is very quiet though so you'll have to turn the volume up see you next time Yeah, Brian! <laughs> How you going, man? Sorry, never work, and I, I haven't got a bloody chance to ring you yet. Yeah? Oh, that's all right, man. One second. Yeah, come on, just give me ten minutes, yeah? How are you, mate? You all right? <laughs> yeah, good, man. Yourself? Bloody hell, yeah. Not bad, not bad. Let's see. It's all good. You still running? And, uh, yeah, I still do a bit of running, mate. Oh, that's good, man. That's good. Yeah. Um, playing a veterans football tournament last week that nearly killed me. Oh, I bet it did. Jeez. <laughs> but yeah, you still cycling a lot, Rich. Or? Yeah, I come back from today. I nearly died. Same deal. Actually, I went on one of the trails, and it, one of the trails was called Veterans. <laughs> and oh, really? This guy's built these trails, <laughs> and yeah, one's called Veterans, and. Uh, yeah, oh, jeez, I just got, like, a big neck bob coming off this drop. I was like, oh. Yeah, I was walking quite a bit of it. But, um, yeah, still getting out there, man. You're, still uh, You must be 50s now. 50, 55, yeah. Two? Yeah. 55. 55, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. 56, yeah. Shh. Yeah, you know what? It's been, like, it's pretty much 28 years. I'm glad we went when we did. I'm glad we went when we did, because um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been really interesting listening because obviously <laughs> I haven't relived it for so long now. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been great. Yeah, I haven't got through them all yet. But yeah, oh, that's all right, man. I wasn't sure how you'd sort of uh, react to it because I was like, it's been a while, but you know, I'm. Yeah. I'm keeping it, you know, it's PG, it's for families, I'm not going to like, yeah, I'm not going to write out silly, yeah, so, perfect, yeah. It's great recollecting the age of the <laughs> yeah. It'd be funny just listening to it. That and then that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I still, I still haven't started on the, I've just got to um, the portal. Oh, yeah. I've still got me, I've still got me, you know, a good, good chunk to do yet. Right, yeah. Just get, you know, in between time, I get a chance here and there. Do you just go it off from your diaries and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, because I wrote, I started writing a book when I first, that's why it's fresh in my mind. You're probably going, how did you remember all this? <laughs> but, yeah, I did, yeah. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. I should just make some stuff up. Intellectual genius. <laughs> yeah. We're getting into Malaysia now. We're just going into Malaysia. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's um yeah actually you know yeah it's getting up to the exciting bits you know where um or I think you can still do stuff like I went to New Zealand with a family last year and I was amazed I still managed to do some stuff like climbed a a volcano and with Mali and did a few bits like jumping in rivers and just enjoying yourself like you can still do it. Yeah. Well, well, it's good you're still fit, man. It's good you're still. Uh, yeah, not so bad, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, put on your timber on them. <laughs> pretty, li pretty lean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting your timber on. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was trying to find you the other week because I was. I wanted to share this podcast with you because I, I was like, geez. Because I started it last year and I got a bit disheartened. Because you kind of put some effort into it, put it out there, and then you're like, oh. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It takes a bit of work. It must be. I'm just going to say, proper adventure, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
like every time we fucked up. But like you definitely had the luck of the Irish with you because. Um, oh, I did. Yeah. Every time. Every time, yourself, every time something went wrong, you were just to one side of it. <laughs> I was just laughing. Yeah. Oh no, there's Rich again. Fuck. Oh, he's laid in the road. His bike smashed up. One puncher, didn't I? Something like that, man. Yeah, you had it good. Yeah, it'd be interesting, like, some of you, getting some of your comments on, like, some of the stuff. When I've done all the others, like, it'd be good to... If you want, I'll put you on the show, because everyone thinks you're invisible. They're all like, who's... They're like... Guy, there's a guy at work, he loves him. He's like this young, younger guy, he's about 30, Italian guy called Rob. And he's always like, oh, every story you tell, it's always like, me and my mate on push bikes. <laughs> but then he goes, who's your... He said, get, he said, get an interview with your mate. That'll be the best. Get Brian on the show, because everyone thinks he's like this like elusive Scarlet Pimpernel type character that no one... They don't think he's real. Exactly, <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of good. It's kind of keeps them like hanging in there. Yeah. Yeah, intrigue. Yeah. Hey, I don't, I don't want to hold you up at work. You won't be getting in trouble, will you? Yeah, I better get back actually now, Rich. But it's lovely to speak to you, mate. Yeah, and you, mate. Uh, Just um, keep tuning in on uh, Richie Radio. <laughs> yeah, yes, I will. <laughs> yeah, I will, mate. Yeah, I'll uh, finish him off and I'll give you another buzz next yeah. week, maybe. Yeah, sweet. Take it easy, man. Yeah. Oh. All right, Richard. Nice to speak to you, Yeah, and you. Take care, man. All right. Take See you care, back. mate. See you, See you. Bye. 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 Bye.